When we were passing through this great Gethsemane experience, which we've already shared with you, the agony was great. Satan was determined that he would destroy our faith and our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my loved ones were afraid that I would be an infidel. Mother used to come to me and she'd say, Glenn, I'm afraid you're going to be an infidel. I said, why do you say that, Mother? She said, you're expecting so much from the Lord, and when you don't get it, you'll be so disappointed, so downhearted, so discouraged, that you'll turn from the Lord completely. I said, Mother, I'm going to get it. I'm sure it's coming. And you know, friends, that scared her all the more. Because the more excited, the more enthusiastic I appeared, the greater she felt would be the letdown, and that I'd turn my back on the Lord. How do we keep from this letdown? I want to share with you the difference between faith and feeling. If we depend on our feeling as we claim promises, friends, our feelings are like clouds. Back in Tennessee where we live, we're up about 3,700 feet to nearly 5,000 feet, and down in the valley below we'll find various cloud patterns. Some of them are beautiful, but they're changing, almost continually changing. Sometimes we'll look down in the valley and you'd swear it was a lake. At other times, the beautiful patterns, but that's like feelings. Our feelings change, but God remains the same. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. I'm not going to try to share with you all of the problems that we had. <laughs> it would take hours. And another thing, we don't want to become problem-centered, but I just want to share with you a few of the problems that Satan brought to us and how the Lord helped us in this tremendous battle of faith. For instance, after we had this farm that we told you about in a previous study, it was now about the 13th and 14th of July, and we hadn't planted anything. And of course, I loved sweet corn. How many of you people love sweet corn? May I see your hands? Good. All right. Well, Coons really love sweet corn. And I said, Lord, I'm going to... I couldn't plant anything before the, the 14th or 15th, really, of July. And I said, dear Lord, if my neighbors, who already thought I was beside myself in paying such a big price for that farm, if they knew now <clears throat> that I was out about to plant sweet corn at a time there they're beginning to eat their sweet corn. They would say, really, that old preacher is fit to be committed. But I said, Lord, with you nothing is impossible. You gave us this place, we claimed your promise, and you're going to stick by us now. And I'm going to plant a whole acre or more of sweet corn. And I'm going to expect you to let this be a public demonstration of what you can do. So there I went out, preparing with that little old tractor, an acre or more of land, planting the sweet corn, and you know, I could just see those neighbors huddling themselves together, and they said, you, you see what this fellow, you know what he is? He's a kook. I wasn't a kook, I was just coon. <laughs> and they said, can you imagine? Nobody would think of doing a thing like that. You know, my friends, that sweet corn matured, 
We were gathering sweet corn until almost Thanksgiving. People traveled, I think, up to 40 miles to get from us the best sweet corn there was anywhere. You know why? There was no other sweet corn. <laughs> but ours was delicious. My mother, my 80-year-old mother, was there by the highway selling this sweet corn to the passers-by. Brother, she wasn't selling it. Talk about exercise. Was I getting the exercise? I was picking it by the bushels and thanking the Lord for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, friends, but I tell little people in our church day schools, I say, when you get an answer to your prayer, I said, you know what happens to Satan? I said, what happens to Satan? I said, it makes Satan as mad as the devil. And one little girl, she said, he is a devil. I said, that's right. That's why he gets that mad. He wants us to fall out of love with Jesus. He wants us to become infidels, agnostics, bitter, because God doesn't answer us always just the way we expect. But the devil does, doesn't give up that soon. I tell you, he doesn't. Friends, uh, maybe I ought not tell you this. Maybe I should. All right. I have decided that on this farm, since I couldn't get an acre or two from anybody out the, outside of the city, which was about four miles out, that I would make an acre or two or three acres available to other people in the city who also would like to be out in the country and have a little spot of land. So I gave them a right of way into an acre or two or three, whatever they decided with us, and I said, now the Lord's been good to me. I'm going to let them pay as little as $10 a month. Because this way I can be a blessing to others. The Lord's been good to me. Why shouldn't I be a blessing to others? And my friends, the local newspaper came out with columns against this old preacher. One of the charges that was made in several of these columns was, this man is selling off land that isn't fit for man or beast. They said in the first place, it, will, it never will grow anything, no matter how much fertilizer you put on it. It never would grow anything. And I said, dear Lord, you help me to get this place. I said, Lord, I remember over, over Australia, there's a group of people many, many, many years ago who, who got a little spot of ground for a, a school. And the government there said it was so poor it would grow nothing. And somebody had a beautiful dream or a vision and saw the most luxurious fruit that would grow. And indeed, it produced it. I said, Lord, you did that in Australia. <clears throat> you can do it <clears throat> with our farm. We called it, <clears throat> we called it Dreamland Farm. <laughs> the devil said, I'm going to make it nightmare instead of a dreamland. So out came, out came the county sanitary inspector, the whole town board. And they were going to test some holes. They said, now you are to dig, I think, 35 percolation holes. These percolation test pits, uh, those who know, know that they would fill them with water, time how long it would take for them to drain. So I dug these pits all over the place. Out came this town board. You'd have thought they belonged to the Wax Museum. You'd have thought I was some kind of a criminal. And they began to check on these different pits to see how, how quickly or how slowly the water would drain out. And then they found it was, they were working. 
And they, and they said, uh, the one in charge said, dig a pit right here. This, if I dug a pit right there, the bottom of it would be lower than the creek. And in all probability, the water would flow into this instead of out. I said, we were, nobody's going to build there. He said, I said for you to dig a pit there. And you know, as I was digging that pit, I was claiming a Bible promise. They didn't know it. I was saying, dear Lord, you've promised no weapon that is formed against your children will prosper. Isaiah 54, 17. Dear Lord, you're going to bring their, their, the, the awful slander against me to naught. I dug it. They filled it with water. You know what happened? It went out almost like a sieve. I think the water came from that faster than any other place. It proved perfect. So I took three samples of soil now down to the town, uh, to the county uh, farm bureau's office to see what kind of fertilizer we need, needed. And I said, dear Lord, you've said that no weapon that's formed against you will prosper. The devil hates you and he hates everybody who claims your promises and they have been slandering your cause and your servant lord you'll bring it to naught i took three samples down to the farm bureau a few days later i came down they told me when to come back and get the report when i came from for the report they handed me the report and i found nothing on it so as i stepped out i i stepped back in i said sirs uh you haven't stated what kind of fertilizer this land needs. Oh, they said, when we don't state what kind of fertilizer the land needs, it means that it is so rich it needs no fertilizer. My friends, God still is on the throne. God still answers prayer. God still keeps his promises. Can you say amen? amen. God never lies. Why, dear friends, as I was, was working on this, trying to help other people, getting exercise along the way, I couldn't begin to tell you all the wonderful miracles that took place. But now, as I was finding that it would be impossible to meet the payments except through some miracle, and my brother David would come back, bless his heart, his eyes glaring, and he would say, Glenn, you're going to lose your shirt. You remember? You're going to lose your shirt. Glassy eyes, almost a frothing mouth. I would say, Lord, if you don't mind, would you make his stay rather brief? <laughs> and when he left, I said, thank you, Lord. It's wonderful. Sometimes our, the answer to our prayers are delayed a little bit. But sooner or later, the answer will come. Then I would go out on that farm. I'd put my fingers in the soil. And I said, dear Lord, I know you're there. Now, friends, remember this. When you claim Bible promises, the secret of claiming Bible promises is to know whose promise we're claiming. The center of claiming promises is God. It's not just so many words. So many words are meaningless unless they are given us by one who keeps his word. Amen? Unless they're given us by someone who is wise enough to come to our rescue who is strong enough to come to our rescue, who is powerful enough, who loves us enough to come to our rescue. This is the basis. Who is God? Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
to know how to pray is to know that God is interested in us in every particular of life. I'd pick up a little flower. I said, Lord, this little flower tells me that you exist. One of my brothers who had come to see my place and said he didn't think God got his mail that day, you remember? He had preached a sermon on, on this title, How I Convinced the Infidel That There's a God. It was a powerful sermon. He'd preached many years before. He'd written it out. I'd read it. And it had not meant very much to me until now I needed it. Have you ever noticed you'll go to hear a sermon or you'll read something in a, in a book and it's almost just so many words until you're actually crying out for help and the Lord says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now I was crying out for help. And I picked up this little flower and I said, Lord, I remember my brother said anything that has law and order and beauty means to an end, symmetry. All those things put together always postulate mind. In all human history, you've never found the combination of those five things, but what there's a mind. Order, even the traffic light. Nobody says, uh, how did the traffic light happen to be there? Somebody put it there, even though it may not be, be beautiful. Though it not, may not be like nature that goes through the very stages of, of development. Somebody put the traffic light there. The order there proves that there's a mind. When you have order, law, beauty, means to an end, symmetry, you have mind. I said, Lord, this little tiny flower declares that you exist. It declares how importantly you are interested in me. If you're interested so much in a tiny flower to make it perfect, how much bigger am I than a flower? So you not merely exist, but you're interested in every human being. Lord, you are there. You are interested in me. And Lord, I look up into the clouds. I look up into the starlit heavens, and I like to see Arcturus, that runaway planet. This one planet alone tells me, God, how powerful you are. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Lord, you're there. You're powerful enough, powerful enough to take care of me. I was going through agony. But you know, you see where the Lord helped me to win? I was not merely talking about so many words. Friends, when you claim God's immutable, eternal promises, remember they're God's promises. Remember they come from an almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God. You promised me, Lord, this. I would put my hand on a promise and the tears rolling down my cheeks. I said, Lord, these aren't just words. These are your words. And you've said in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? You may want to write that out. My friends, I've claimed that promise thousands of times. You know why? It tells me about the God of promises. God will not lie. There are times when I found myself fainting beneath the burden. The, the financial load was so great, it seemed so impossible to pay my debts that it seemed I'd almost lose my mind. I remember once I lay down, and as I lay down on my couch, I determined that I would take every promise of God that says that God is true, because this is talking about God. Who is this God? And I lay down and I claimed about 15 promises. One of them said, God is not a man that he should lie. I said, dear Lord, You've said in Philippians 4.19, you'll supply my need. 
That's your promise, Lord. And God is not a man that he should lie. You promised me you would supply my need. You aren't lying, dear Lord. Do you see the center of promise claiming is God? Talk about God, friends. Sing about God. Tell him you love him. Tell him you believe in him. Words not merely follow thoughts, but thoughts follow words. And if we want faith, talk faith. And the more I told God I know you're there, the more my faith was strengthened. The more I said, Lord, I know you love me, the more my faith strengthened. The more I believed the promises. The basis of Bible promise claiming is God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's an all-powerful God. He's interested in us. I said, Lord, my brothers have said that I was so presumptuous in claiming a Bible promise. And I would say to them something like this. I believe the Bible. They said, we do too. I said, I believe its promises. They said, we do too. I said, I believe Philippians 4.19. They said, we do too. I said, well, I claimed Philippians 4.19. They said, you're wrong. I said, what? Uh, let's play that back again. I believe the Bible. We do too. I believe all of its promises. We do too. I believe, therefore, Philippians 4.19 is one of the promises. We do too. I said, and I claimed it. They said, that's presumption. I said to myself, what do they believe then? The covers? Or oh, is that it? We say we believe the Bible. We say we believe the promises. But when we come to a specific promise in a specific time of need, we say we can't claim it. Let God be true and every man a liar. What do you say? God knows what he's saying. And I said, thank you, Lord. You know what you're saying. I said, now, Lord, since I know you exist, since I know you're powerful enough, since I know you're loving enough, so since I know you're wise enough, how do I know that you are the one who's communicating to me in the Bible? That's where my dear brothers, beautiful brothers, were afraid. They loved me. They were scared for me. They were afraid. I said, how do I know you're communicating to me? And I, and I put a note, an outline in the front of my Bible. And the, when I came to this part of the outline, I said, Lord, there are three reasons why I know that you communicate to me. These promises are to me personally as well as to anyone else personally. One is, I said, I have been preaching for years that the Bible contains 1,335 prophecies, 1,000 of which have already met the point of fulfillment. Every, not one has failed. I said, it's not one of these crystal ball deals. Your promises have never failed. And then I said, Lord, I remember my brother in that sermon he preached, why I convinced an infidel there, there's a God. I said, in it he told the story of Josiah Litch. Josiah Litch, as the story went, was preaching in Philadelphia in 1838. He was preaching on these beautiful Bible prophecies, and he was accosted by a group of infidels. And they said something like this, Mr. Litch, you're telling about things that happened centuries and centuries ago. We have no way of proving that these predictions were made before it took place. For all we know, maybe the predictions took place after, uh, were made after the thing took place. You tell us, Mr. Litch, of something that will take place in the future, in our day. You cite Bible for something that's going to happen in the near future, and if that happens, we'll accept the Bible. He said, all right. Two years from now, on August 11, 1840, the Ottoman Empire, Empire 
will lose its independence. That's something we can put our teeth in, they said. When August 11, 1840 arrived, the Ottoman Empire that day lost its independence. And I'd read from my brother's sermon that 1,000 infidels were converted overnight on the basis of one fulfilled prophecy. I said, Lord, if a thousand infidels will accept the Bible and Jesus Christ and the Lord of heaven and earth on the basis of one fulfilled prophecy, can't I accept it on the basis of a thousand of them? I know you're communicating to me. Then I said, Lord, the second reason is this. I've been preaching in South America and other lands the Bible. I've seen men come into my business place, into our meeting, who are murderers, liars, thieves, all kinds of sinners, and I've seen their lives completely changed as they have taken hold of your word. It must be the word of the living God. No wonder we read in 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, what? Ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lord, the way those men's lives were changed was by your immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing promises. I said, and the third reason by which I know, the third proof by which I know you're communicating to me is what happens in my own life. Every time I've made this word the daily man of my counsel, I've been a completely different person. When I've neglected it, I've been a half-backslidden Christian. Lord, thank you. You are communicating to me in your immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing word. You're there, Lord. You're there. Friends, when you don't feel as though God were answering your prayers, remember, the just shall live not by feeling, but by what? By faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and let us add, and not felt. Faith is saying, Lord, you keep your word. The Christ of Calvary will never let me down. The basis of your promises is your eternal love. It's what you're like. Won't you determine to learn God's promises, beloved? Won't you open God's word in every time of need and before you feel your great need in some financial aspect? Won't you say, Lord, I love you. I'll read your word as a love letter. May God bless you as my prayer. Dear Lord in heaven, thank you at this hour for that heart that's crying out for God, the soul, dear Lord, that feels unclean, unworthy, filthy, as some have told us. Thank you, you have said. There are given to us your promises by which we can be cleansed. Second Corinthians 7.1. While our heads are bowed in prayer and our eyes are closed, is there one here in this audience or one in the viewing audience who wants to say, Preacher, pray for me that I may fly to God's promises as never before. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, Lord, for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. And may God bless you, friends, that you'll study God's word as never before is my prayer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.